So, 55 Up, what's that all about? Well, it's a series of podcasts looking at some of the issues that we've increasingly needed to talk about since the COVID-19 pandemic. Issues like mental health, loss, loneliness and bereavement. So why 55 Up, the Rotherham podcast? Well, it's aimed at people in Rotherham aged 55 and over. Throughout the series, we'll be talking to council service providers, voluntary organisations and community groups to find out what kind of help, advice and support is out there. We'll also have contributions from local spoken word comedy duo, the Glummer Twins, who'll be sharing their thoughts on the joys, absurdities and indignities of getting older. So let's make a start. In this episode, we'll be looking at bereavement. So last year, I got invited to Boston Castle in Rotherham to attend a death cafe. No, I'd never heard of death cafes either, so I looked it up. Since they first started in 2011, death cafes have spread around the world and are now operating in 81 countries. The idea of a death cafe is that it's a free event organised by local people where anyone can go along and, and talk to other people, often strangers, about death and bereavement while eating cake and drinking tea. The whole idea is to increase awareness of death with a view to helping people make the most of their lives. At the Death Cafe in Rotherham, I met up with Gillian Moss from Rotherham Libraries and Ashley Wilford, Rotherham's Superintendent Registrar and Bereavement Services Manager. So after the event, I had a chat with Gillian and Ashley. I started by asking Gillian to explain the whole idea behind Death Cafes. So a death cafe is, um, it's more of a discussion and we can, they, they can be led by staff or just a volunteer, uh, a member at community. Um, the death cafe that we, we trialled as part of this arts and health programme, we had uh, a funeral director um, who kind of hosted that event. And you introduce different topics to discuss um, so you, there's different, all different topics, whether it's the financial aspect, uh, the kind of paperwork that you have to deal with following someone dying. Um, and it's just a basis for discussing different elements of death. It's, it's a different take to a bereavement cafe, which is usually including more professional people so it's not a counseling session that is a, a death cafe it it's um it's just that it's proven that by people talking about death um it then has you're then less likely to go on to needing to um go to the nhs and, and accessing a, a doctor or a counselor that way um i think there's figures that are, that are proven to by talking openly about death um, it can just help people. So can we expect to see more death cafes in Rotherham? I think we can definitely expect to see more death cafes in Rotherham. Um, and we're linking up to, um, we, well, linking up with internal people within the council. So we've been working with public health and registrars and um, 
tapping into the skills and knowledge that we've already got internally as a council as to how we can support people in community, whether that's having just simply having leaflets present, signposting, um, the different services that we offer within Rotherham um, outside of the library. So um, it's definitely on the cards to, to roll out regular death cafes. And we're also speaking with other libraries who have become death positive libraries who have regular death cafes. Um, but we just need to we just need to get it right. And I think by um, taking part in this arts and health programme that we've recently had and having these activities, such as the Music and Memories and the Death Cafe that we had at Boston Castle. We've been able to chat to people. We've been able to take on board feedback um, and make sure that we can offer something that's that's right. And and, and not only 55 plus for everyone, because everyone's mm -hmm. affected by, by death at, at some point in their life. Um, so obviously it's, it's open for anyone that wants to attend it really. So next I asked Ashley about her role in the Death Cafe project and her work as Superintendent Registrar and Bereavement Services Manager. So I'm Ashley and I am the Superintendent Registrar and the Bereavement Service Manager. Um, I've been working with Gillian on the Death Cafe initiative and the Death Positive Libraries. Largely the work that I do is before what Gillian, the people that Gillian would see. So they will come and see us to register the death or they would use the cemeteries and the crematorium for the funeral for their loved one. Um, but my role also includes chairing the uh, excess death work stream in the emergency response to COVID. So part of that is about the recovery and what support is available for people in the community. So a lot of it, Gillian, I think, has covered in terms of those over 55 are more likely to have been isolating and shielding, but also more likely to experience loss. So through the work of the Excess Death Workstream and with the Death Cafe, it's allowed us to explore a little bit more widely what is available to people in terms of support, um, different events going on around the borough, whether it's a death cafe, an event in the libraries, but also we have friends of groups in cemeteries, which is a lot of outdoor events that bring people together. Um, and it, it prompts sort of general discussions about death and dying because of the environment that they're in. Uh, they might be having a clean up day at a cemetery, for example, um, but it does prompt those conversations and People do share those experiences that they've had themselves, um, but they will ask questions as well of any professionals that are there, uh, which I think is great because people don't really know to what to expect until they experience it. And we in registrars see people when they're very raw. So once people have registered a death, how do they get further support? So in terms of support after registration, we don't identify sort of what that person might need because we're not the right people to be able to do mm. that. But we will signpost everybody to whatever is available that we're aware of. So on our website, we've got um, information about registering a death, which is all the practical information of what information that you'll need to bring in, um, where your appointment will take place and, and the legalities around it. At the end of the registration appointment, what we do is give people a leaflet to 
something such as the Listening Ear initiative that public health are working on. Um, we've got some leaflets up on display in the notice boards in the corridor, um, but we also have that information on our website. So if somebody goes away from their appointment and they think, I'm sure the registrar said something about this support or there's a phone number I can ring for this, they can just go back to our website and it gives the internet links and telephone numbers and opening times of different support services that are available to everybody. Mm. Um, so that's how we approach it in registrars. Obviously in registrars you're dealing with happier occasions like births and marriages, but you also have to deal with recently bereaved people. I, I imagine that can be quite difficult. I think you get used to it. Mm. You become hardened to it. And I think my my approach is, and this is what I would tell any staff that I was training, you're, yes, it can be upsetting for you, but it's a lot worse for the people sat at the other side of the desk. So how you feel is nothing in comparison to how they feel. So just do your job and do it in the best way you can for that family. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think the challenges in registrars, you might be out doing ceremonies in the morning and then you might have um, an afternoon full of death appointments. So it's the changing the hats of your sort of happy hat and then you're more tactful and professional. Mm. Um, but you tailor it to each family, so you have to be good at reading people to understand what they need from you. If, some, if you're um, kind of quiet and just getting on with it and they family that you're with clearly want to talk or some people come in and they're quite happy um, because they're remembering their loved one for the good things and not thinking, oh, well, they're not here anymore. Um, you know, a lot of the time you see grief is the hardest to deal with for registrars if it's a young person that's passed away um, or it's been a sudden death if, it's, if there's been... Um, a very short illness or something like that, something very unexpected. Um, that's the hardest thing for us to deal with because the family is still processing what was going on before they died, let alone what's happened since and the fact that they have died. So it's very difficult for us to speak to families and always get across what we need to say um, because it's... I mean, if, you, if you've experienced grief yourself, you know that you don't take in what people say to you. I know I don't, it goes straight over the top of my head. So um, you just have to be very good at reading people and be very tactful with, with how people are and just bear in the back of your mind that yes, you feel awful because this family here to register, um, a little girl, a little boy, um, a young person particularly, um, you feel awful, but they feel like their world has fallen apart. So you can do what, just do the very best you can. And that's all you can do if you know you've done your best. Right then, time for a break. So here's a bit of nostalgia from our local spoken word comedy duo, the Glummer Twins. <laughs> Thank you. 
swore baby boom As the riffle and skiffle dispelled the gloom Raise some bebop, rhythm and blues Hold on a shake in blue suede shoes Drapes and crepes and pink chiffon One for the money And the beat goes on A monochrome set in 59 Saw the six by special coming down the line The Everly's Fats Domino Some young kid from Tupelo Fats, Elvis, Phil and Don Two for the show And the beat goes on Luxembourg under the covers Sinatra songs for swinging lovers Puffy bars, Anthony Newley David Jacobs, jukebox jury Saturday night at the Palladium Three to get ready And the beat goes on London got on the right track Sun Studios served a slapback Ray Charles said hit the road jack Jack Kerouac packed a rucksack Bogart partied with the rat pack and Charlie Mingus never got his pork pie hat Farron Young Go Cat Go and The beat goes on Born in the post-war baby boom The riffle of skiffle dispelled the gloom Raised on rock and roll, rhythm and blues Whole other shaking, blue suede shoes The beats of boom has nearly gone The tune may change But the beat goes on So that was Ray Globe and David Harmer, better known as the Glummer Twins. So, I recently called in to see Diane Keeley and Joan Talbot at Rotherham Hospice. Diane is Head of Patient and Family Support Services and Joanne works as a bereavement volunteer. I started by asking Diane to tell me a bit about what the hospice does. So Rotherham Hospice, people tend to be quite scared about the word hospice and not quite know what we do. Um, uh, often when I talk to members of the public and say that I work in the hospice, it's a bit of like horror on people's faces. Oh my goodness, you know, that must be really difficult. But actually it's a really lovely place to be, which hopefully you can feel while you're here. Um, so the hospice does offer, uh, it's not just about death and dying, it is about living with so it's about living with your illnesses, living with cancers, living with long-term conditions. Uh, and that can be right from um, diagnosis through to the end of people's lives. Um, we have quite lots of different services within the hospice. So we've got, of course, the medical service. We've got the hospice at home team who help people in their own homes who don't want to come into the hospice. So we've got our doctors here and the, the clinical nurse specialists and all their team around them will support people within their own homes to make sure they can live as comfortably as they can there. 
um, and change medication, etc., within people's homes. We've got 14 beds on the inpatient unit here at the hospice. And people come into the hospice for a variety of reasons. It can be early on in illness, where they may well need changes of medication to calm the pain, or after they've had chemotherapy or radiotherapy, that they need support from us in, again, managing pain and symptoms around that. And for psychological support as well, they'll come in for psychological support to ask the questions they want to ask away from their family members and to get their support themselves. Uh, So the day hospice encompasses hospice at home and inpatient unit, and it sort of helps to close that gap, if you like, around people being able to come into the hospice to have peer support from other people going through the same, excuse me, as what they're going through, and also to start creating memories for their loved ones going forward and and doing some advanced care planning for their their end of life, like talking about things such as wills, what they would want to happen, and all of that. So the overall service of the hospice is absolutely not about death and dying. That's a very small part of what we do, and it is about living with what you have. And then my role within that, uh, my team, I have a team of, that we've got a clinical psychologist, we have counsellors and we also have um, bereavement support and chaplaincy. And I'm also a a registered social worker, so I I offer social work for the hospice as well about people, of course, people's social elements of the life. Um, Yeah, and, and my team actually thread through all those hospice services I've just told you about. So we thread through supporting people at home supporting people in our day hospice and also supporting people and their families, of course, within the inpatient unit as well. Um, And that service can be spirituality, which doesn't mean to say you have to have a religion or a belief. It's about often what is the meaning of life? What, you know, when you're thinking about the end of your life, what has my life meant for me? That reflection on your life. Of course, if you have got a faith, a religion, a belief, whatever, go with that as well, you know, and we offer... Every form of um, every form of support, religion-wise, here, um, and then we have um, psychology support, which is for higher level of people who may have some really complex issues going on in their life. Maybe not just about themselves at the moment, but it could be from early on in the childhood things come back to get you, and when you start to think about um, mortality, etc., that things from your childhood and things can also come back and come some really complex things going on for people. Then we have counselling support for our patients and families. Um, that can be while the patients are still with us, of course, but also can pick with the families once uh, the patients have, have sadly died as well. And then we have a team of bereavement volunteers, and we've got one of those with us today. We'll introduce herself in a little while. Um, so we've got a, a wonderful team of bereavement volunteers who offer bereavement support for our patients' families as well. Um, We have bereavement support for adults, which our volunteers provide solely as a service, but we also have bereavement support for children of our families. Um, We have that as as group support. We also have that as one-to-one in schools as well. So, um, yeah, we're we're a big team. We're a very inclusive team, and we hope that within the work that we do, we offer that support, that holistic support around people's journeys. So the work of the hospice very much involves the families of patients. That is a massive part of what we do because of course the families are often, I don't like to use the word carers, but families can also be the carers of our patients. Mm. You know, it could be husband, wife, daughters, aunties, uncles, whatever, you know, within the family. Um, And to support them in that caring role is really important, not only psychologically, but also supporting when people do become poorly around 
surprising how many people really worry about giving medication to their loved ones um, and making sure that we support them around understanding that medication as well. So, yeah, it's the, it's the medical model that we, we offer, the, the medication, the model around that, um, the psychological, the spiritual, all the emotional stuff that goes on there. Grieving's never easy, but if we can support the family before their loved one dies and with their loved one, and we can open up conversations with their loved one while they're still here, that really does help, if that's an okay word to use, that really does help with the grieving process because we can have had lots of discussions around, for example, funeral planning, conversations that maybe people have never had before with their loved ones, that we can help them to open up those conversations and to have some... There's never a clean ending and a nice, you know, good ending, if you like, in, in respect of conversations for everybody. But we, we're here to make the patient's end-of-life journey and their loved one's experience of their uh, end-of-life journey the best it possibly can be, however we can help with that. Right. So now we're going to have a chat with Joanne Talbot. So my name's Joanne Talbot and um, I'm a bereavement volunteer at the hospice. Uh, which means that I actually um, see clients on a one-to-one basis. So it just means um, actually sat with someone who's been bereaved. We generally say that they can have anything from uh, naught to six sessions, depending on how it feels for them. Um, If they really need a little bit more, then we will ask if they can have further sessions as well. Um, So what, for me, it's... uh, I actually love coming to the hospice. I love actually being able to work with clients who are at a real time of need, um, trying to help them understand grieving, how it feels, how it might be having an impact on their life, um, how it might be impacting on the you know, mind and body as well, and um, helping them through what can be a really difficult time and a really sad time. So um, I've actually written a book about this. So I've actually... I've got an anagram for grieving, which is genuine genuine reaction in experiencing very intense natural goodbyes. So that being that the different reactions that you can experience, it could can be your mind, it can be your body, but um, probably the most common ones are um, feelings of despair, anger, blame, guilt, worries, a big one, fear, panic. Um, also, you can get physical symptoms, headaches, um, stomach, you know, stomach disorders, that feeling of an upset stomach, um, loss of concentration. Um, often clients feel like they're just going a little bit mad or they feel like they might be losing it. Um, that can be, for some people, crying, lots of crying, and then th- for others, just no crying at all and feel very empty inside. Uh, feelings of um, unworthiness really Um, things like that can manifest for people and it can also be that if they've had stress or anxiety before um, it might make that intense Um, so what what, um, relatives and friends might see is that they're not the usual selves Uh, they might be a bit more distant than they used to be Uh, you might find that they're um, avoiding certain situations. Um, It could also be as well that uh, they might just see slight changes in the personality uh, in respect of um, 
not wanting to do what they would normally do. So they might be um, having problems at work even, um, not being able to concentrate. They can't keep the, you know, they feel like the, a lot of people actually feel like they're starting with dementia because the memory gets really badly affected. And I think that's because they're processing such a lot of information um, that, and they can get overwhelmed with all the thoughts going around in the head. For me, I think we don't talk about death dying um, enough and it's become a little bit of a taboo subject. So, for example, um, we're struggling at the moment to actually use the correct terminology, so I call it shying away from the D words. So that's where we're using ambiguous phrases like passed away. Um, and death and dying is actually a natural part of life. It's part of the life cycle. Um, so I think what would be really helpful is if we all could get to know grieving a little bit more, not be afraid of grieving, and then that way we can support one another. So if everybody knew what to expect, then we'd all be knowing how to support one another, we'd all know how to console one another. So um, talking about it is a really big thing, Talking about, which is what the hospice is really good at, talking about um, the process of dying, talking about the support that you might need, talking about what happens um, after death as well. Um, so being able to talk about death in general and it not being a t taboo subject or something that is a bit of a stigma, that would be really great. That would really help a lot of people. Um, so And actually being able to talk to um, the person who's had a death. So you know, being able to acknowledge that they've had a death and not avoid that conversation with them. So actually, if you don't know what to say, it would be better to say to your friend or your relative, I'm really sorry, I don't know what to say right now. You know, I'd, I'd, I wish I could make this better for you, but, you know, I, I, I just don't know how to be around you. What do you want me to do? How can I help you? Is there anything that I can help you with? So we can, talking about it would really open up a lot of conversations. But along with talking, we also need to do a lot of listening as well. So I touched on it earlier and said that we do a lot of processing when somebody's died. Um, and sometimes some processing means that people might say the same conversations over and over, but that's them trying to make it right in their own mind. So the listening is just about really listening, letting somebody talk not trying to have all the right phrases and all the right answers. You don't have to make it... You can't make it better for them, but what you can do is you can't grieve um, for them, but you can grieve with them. So you can just sit very quietly with them, let them talk if they want to talk. Um, the other thing that we can do as well is offer support. So support can be sometimes practical things. So it could be that you could do some of the more practical elements for them. So you could... I don't know, help them ring round if they need to ring somebody or you might help them uh, compose an email that they need, might need to send or you might take them to an appointment they might need to go to. Um, you might be able to help them if they're struggling with everyday tasks. Um, keep keep an eye on you know, the fact, are they eating properly? Are they looking after themselves? Are they just doing their everyday chores? Are they managing to take the kids to school? Just really just keeping an eye out for those practical tasks as well. We're all individuals. We've all got a different life story. We've all got different 
um, support networks, we've got different relationships, we've got different di dynamics, we're all, like I say, we're all individuals and we've all got um, an individual grieving pathway as well. So even within the same family, brother and sister can grieve differently for all those different factors, our own life stories, where we work, what friends we've got, what we do, what hobbies we've got. That makes us individual, so our grieving will be individual too. So the best thing really is not to rush it. Grieving, death and dying are natural, and I believe that the grieving period is that natural period after a death, after a loss. And that's where we just need to take it day by day, just really slow things down, be able to just sit and expect um, an emotion to come over you, but just like a wave... It will come and then it will go again. And it's important really just to be able to sit with it. Um, also to do some, um, not to shy away from time, trying to remember not just the bad times, but the good times. So sit quietly if you can. Um, try to remember the loved one. So that was John Talbot. And before that, we chatted to Diane Keeley from Rotherham Hospice. If you're interested in reading Joanne's book, A Little Book of Grieving, ask at your local library. If you want to find out more about any of the issues we've talked about today, a great place to start is your community library and neighbourhood hub. They can help you find the information you need, provide details of local support groups and activities, or help you get online to do your own research. Once again, many thanks to Diane, Joanne, Gillian and Ashley. Be sure to check out the other episodes of 55 Up, the Rotherham podcast. And if you have been, thank you for listening.